Looking ahead. Challenges and opportunities in the changing world. Welcome to Talking Economics, a podcast by the Center for Economic Research and Graduate Education, Economics Institute. The challenges of recent years bring mental health issues to the fore of all science fields, including economics. What are the long-term mental health trends? What were the effects of the pandemic on mental health? We will be discussing this today with our guest, Liu Borga. Liu Borga is a Sergii PhD in economics graduate and a postdoctoral fellow at the Luxembourg Institute of Health. His main research experience lies in applied econometrics, mainly health, labor, and development economics. Currently, he is working on the evaluation of innovative digital healthcare services. Welcome, Liu. Thank you for having me. Liu, uh, we're going to talk about mental health. Why are economists talking about mental health? Important question. Uh, well, the short answer is economists would like to talk about almost everything. I want to make clear that even though I have collaborated a lot on research related to mental health, uh, my I'm an economist, so my expertise is quite limited. So most of my uh, answers are only from an economist's perspective, working on uh, you know self-reported data, etc. So uh, my suggestions and uh, my analysis should always be taken with this caveat. <laughs> uh, but uh, from several years of decades of research, we came to realize that mental health uh, topic is a very important one because it correlates with many economic uh, factors. Uh, traditionally, economists have dealt with the question of well-being uh, through the lens of what we call utility. So we assume that individuals are rational, they are fully informed, and they seek to maximize utility, and then we infer the well-being of these individuals from the decisions that they make, which we call the revealed preference approach, and then also from their behavior. But then in the last few decades, uh, a new strand of literature uh, kind of took off, which uh, mainly focused on the economics of happiness, uh, quote-unquote. And uh, in this literature strand, people's self-reported well-being is used as an indicator, and uh, that's that has been correlated with different economic and social uh, factors. And more recently, researchers are now economists actually now are studying mental well-being by itself, like using data from psychology and uh, the medical field, uh, psychological uh, indicators such as, uh, you know, validated uh, questions to uh, diagnose uh, mental health, as well as uh, more recently uh, biomarkers, etc. So uh, economists are interested in this because Research have shown that uh, mental health decrease, uh, poor mental health, is associated with decreased productivity, um, increased uh, unemployment, etc. And on a macro level, the cost of mental health is uh, quite large. Uh, the World Health Organization, I think, estimates that only depression and anxiety disorders cost globally over a trillion uh, US dollars per year in lost productivity. And actually, a recent uh, Lancet publication shows that figure could even escalate up to five trillion uh, if we include other mental health disorders than depression and anxiety alone. So, uh, both in the macro and micro level, uh, mental health has a lot of uh, implications that interests economists. Mm-hmm. 
You already hinted some of the uh, data that are used for this research. Can you tell us more about the data that is uh, that economists are using for for their research of mental health? And is uh, are there any changes? Do we see any changes in their availab- availability and uh, and scope? Uh, economists uh, traditionally depend on survey uh, information. And in this survey information, people are usually asked to self-diagnose uh, themselves or to express uh, how they feel. Uh, one of these questions is the latter question uh, where individuals are asked to imagine which on the ladder uh, they consider themselves are, the top step being the best that they can feel and the lower step being the worst that they could feel. Uh, they are also asked to express how they feel in some particular point in time. Uh, other things being considered, how happy did you feel yesterday? Uh, kind of questions. And these were used to uh, basically elicit the subjective well-being of uh, individuals. Uh, I think in the psychology uh, literature, they they do even more because they have uh, diagnostic uh, tools to actually uh, diagnose uh, mental health uh, and some of these diagnostic tools have also been uh, incorporated in uh, surveys so that people self uh, assess their mental health and there are uh, validated questionnaires uh, to uh, measure and score uh, anxiety symptoms depressive symptoms loneliness uh, perceived stress uh, etc and uh, people's uh, self-worth and uh, life satisfaction Uh, these are all have incorporated in many of the uh, big longitudinal surveys that uh, many economists uh, draw uh, evidence from, like the German socioeconomic panel, the British household uh, survey, uh, to name a few, and uh, many uh, international studies also uh, include these uh, subjective well-being questions in their uh, surveys. Mm-hmm. Super. And now, uh, so we do have the data. Uh, our topic is challenges and opportunities. Uh, we have all heard about the, the impact of the pandemic and uh, that it had a major negative impact on the mental health. So can you tell us more about this, uh, the details of, of the impact? Mm. Yes, uh, it's still too, uh, too early, but uh, there have been already a lot of uh, literature out there uh, showing the you know the effect of the pandemic on mental health uh, the immediate effects include increased anxiety increased depression and stress levels uh, social isolation loneliness uh, economic insecurity all of these uh, have been documented in many uh, uh, countries and many settings and uh, There has been a, a systematic uh, correlation between the impact of the pandemic on mental health and the severity of the pandemic in that particular setting. So countries which had uh, severe, uh, if I mean, were affected highly by the pandemic uh, are also countries where most people are expressing uh, increased depression, anxiety, etc. So yeah, there has been uh, severe mental health toll of the pandemic already uh, documented. 
And are there any differences in um, in terms of gender or age? Two things here, like the there is the general correlation between gender and mental health or age and mental health. And then there is the additional uh, contribution of the pandemic uh, on top of that. So uh, normally, especially in the economics uh, uh, literature, in the uh, economics of happiness literature, there has been a very stable relationship between uh, age and uh, mental health or age and at least subjective well-being, which is sort of a U-shape relation uh, where people in the middle age are uh, feeling the worst and younger and older uh, people uh, feel relatively uh, better. Uh, So that U-shape has has been stable for a long time, but recently more from the medical field, we were getting more uh, data and uh, results that show that young people are also suffering from uh, mental health problems uh, and uh, suicide rates, etc., has been uh, increasing between uh, for uh, young people in the age of 15 and 29. So there, there is already some trend which shows that there is uh, uh, an increasing trend uh, of increasing mental. Uh, illness among the the youth. Uh, when it comes to gender, again, uh, without factoring in the pandemic, uh, women were uh, shown to be more prone to mental health problems than men in many of the mental health disorders, for example, depression, anxiety, uh, loneliness, etc. Women are traditionally more uh, affected by these problems, while men are more uh, affected by, uh, you know, bipolar disorder or uh, no rather uh, alcoholic alcohol and uh, substance use, uh, schizophrenia, etc. So there were these already existing uh, differences in gender and age, and the pandemic probably only exacerbated those uh, differences we see that women are relatively uh, more negatively affected by the pandemic than men. And this is mainly probably due to their uh, gender roles, uh, due to the uh, containment and lockdown measures uh, put in place by many governments. Women were forced to stay, uh, well, Many of us were forced to stay home, but uh, at the same time, uh, caregiving uh, facilities, etc., were uh, shut down. So women had to take the lion's share of the responsibility in caring for children or uh, elderly, and uh, also uh, doing most of the household chores. So there is this increased responsibilities in the household. Uh, also, uh, from the labor market, you know, the industries that are most affected uh, happen to also employ um, more proportionately women. So that also creates uh, some sort of financial strain. And in some uh, cultures and in some societies, there is also the increase in uh, domestic violence, you know, intimate partner violence, which is another uh, layer of uh, consequence for women. Yes, the pandemic clearly uh, exacerbates the already existing gender and uh, age imbalances in mental health. Mm -hmm. 
Are we able to say, or is it too early, whether these are just short-term or, or whether this might have long-term impacts? Or when we'll be able to say that? When we'll be able to? Um, again, uh, too early to say that, but we we do have precedent. I mean, uh, the literature I uh, keep uh, referring back to, the economics of happiness literature from uh, people like... Uh, Richard Easterlin, you know, Andrew Oswald, Andrew Clark, etc. There has been a very rich amount of evidence collected over the last 30, 40 years. And we know a few uh, patterns, uh, especially they show that um, people are kind of resilient. They bounce back, uh, which they call adaptation. And, uh, there is uh, strong literature showing that uh, people bounce back, for example, from uh, bereavement, uh, divorce, um, and some uh, disability, illness, etc. So they use longitudinal data and showing that uh, people's subjective well-being before the event and after the event with some dip during the event. So people bounce back to their, uh, their normal self. Actually, for some uh, negative life events such as divorce people actually even become a bit more happier after a certain period of time so people do bounce back and unfortunately the same happens to positive life events so people who won the lottery people who got married people who had children will go back to their uh, pre-event uh, level of satisfaction after a bit of a high from that particular life event so we know that we kind of bounce back there are some uh life events such as unemployment which is kind of sticky so the people who suffer unemployment or job loss tend to uh retain the dip in their uh, life satisfaction and that's kind of a bit sticky but for many uh, life events we we, sh we we've seen that people kind of bounce back and uh you know go back to their normal uh, level of life satisfaction etc will we see that after the pandemic uh we'll have to wait and see because the pandemic touched a lot of um, individual social as well as economic you know macro level aspects so it's uh, too early to actually say that yes we'll definitely come back but given for example uh here at the university of luxembourg uh, we were working on a data that covers uh, six countries and we were tracking their uh, mental health uh, you know starting from I don't know, May 2020 until uh, recently uh, the fall of 2022 so for over uh, for almost three years we've been following their uh, trajectories and we noticed a certain pattern that the uh, mental health of uh, the participants uh, kind of goes in tandem with the severity of the pandemic and the severity of the lockdown measures. So it's at its lowest when the lockdown measures are strict and the pandemic is at its highest. And then it, it improves uh, as things started opening up and uh, restrictions are lifted. Uh, so we already see that there is some kind of uh, pattern that emerge, which is positive and encouraging, but we'll have to wait and see for the long-term uh, consequences. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking about the long-term consequences, you 
I say people bounce back, but these were individual examples. If people would be bouncing back, do we see this on, also on the aggregate data? So does it mean that um, people are at the same level of happiness and satisfaction and maybe health, mental health uh, status as they were, say, 40 years ago or 50 years ago? Or do we see long-term trend uh, generation by generation that it's changing? Uh, hard to say because the, when we talk about you know four years of uh, data, things change uh, other than thing that we're currently talking about. So it's not always easy to disentangle whether it's just uh, you know the mental health trajectory that's changing or maybe other things are contributing to this change at the same time. So uh for example the the way people uh, look at mental health issues 40 or maybe more years ago is quite different from how we see it now uh i'm not saying there is no more stigma or discrimination now but uh, it's much improved than it used to be uh, several years ago so there there used to be this uh, stigma and um you know, discrimination against uh, mental health uh, illnesses. In the past, we we even had asylums and, you know, institutions where we keep people locked in just because they have some sort of uh, mental illness. So those things have changed. And now we also diagnose better. Uh, the medical field has, uh, you know, shown a uh, very uh, amazing transformation in, in terms of uh, the ability to detect diseases, the ability to diagnose, the ability to treat uh, many, not only mental health, but other uh, illnesses as well. So that uh, development and that advancement can also have a, an impact on how we diagnose and how we uh, treat mental health as well. So uh, given all those uh, caveats uh, over the has the mental health picture changed over the past 40 years? Uh, yeah, a little, I think. Uh, but we we lack the data. Uh, so I'm only aware of one such data set uh, which tracks, uh, you know, the trajectory of mental health over the over several years, and. Uh, Given by that data, the pattern is kind of stable. Yes, there is some increase in uh, the number of uh, diagnoses made, but that's to be expected. Uh, one with population increase, and two with the uh, improvement in diagnostics abilities, etc. So yes, uh, the, there is that trend, uh, but again, it's really. It, it needs more digging and it needs more research to actually uh, definitively say mm -hmm. uh, the pattern is improving or not. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You already touched upon my uh, next question, which is the topic of stigmatization of mental health illnesses. So uh, has the pandemic at least helped with destigmatizing the topic? Can we tell that? It's getting better also because of the pandemic, because it highlighted the issues and their importance. And um, I can only speculate. 
uh, I've seen a, a recent study uh, which came out in 2019, I think. So it's, uh, or, well, at least the data they use is up to 2019. So the pandemic has nothing to do with it, but they've shown that uh, at least in the US over the past 20 years, uh, trends in public stigma of mental health has uh, declined. Uh, people are now more accepting of uh, mental health illnesses. They were asked if they would socialize, if they would marry, if they would work with, if they would uh, be neighbors with, etc. with different people suffering from a uh, range of mental disorders and people were more accepting uh, of that uh, compared to their attitude back in 1996, for example. So definitely there are some studies showing that yes, uh, the stigma is declining. Uh, will COVID-19 uh, and the pandemic uh, contribute towards this positive trend? I, I, I hope so and I think so. Uh, but I haven't uh, yet seen a study uh, actually showing that maybe there are, but uh, uh, I haven't looked and I haven't uh, came across it. But the, your hypothesis seems to, to make sense for me, at least. Uh, the fact that people were like isolated for a while and the fact that they have now came to realize the importance of social uh, contacts, the importance of... Uh, you know, having the freedom to do things, etc., may make them aware that uh, you know mental health is something to seriously consider, and uh, that we all might have some sort of uh, need in terms of our mental health that we didn't think about before. So I'm sure that positively contributes to the reduction in stigma. And speaking about opportunities. Uh, there is the uh, other side of the problem, which is the treatment, right? Uh, and the availability of uh, services and support for people who suffer from mental health uh, problems. And at least in the Czech Republic, we've seen a long term shortage of these services, which was, of course, worsened by the pandemic um, because the demand has increased dramatically and the supply uh, didn't have a chance to respond. And do you see any changes or do you see any country differences and do you see any changes in this that the providers would say, okay, this is a topic we really need to focus on and we need to change this and improve? Uh, again, uh my information is a bit limited in, in, as this needs a, a, I mean, a proper uh, consideration to give a definitive answer. But I've, uh, I agree with uh, the couple of things that you said. One is that, yes, uh, there's going to be a big spotlight on the uh, uh, facilities, uh, the, you know, the do we have access to uh, mental health uh, uh, services? Are countries doing uh, enough to make sure that their people have the, uh, these services available, etc.? Uh, there was uh, one report, I think, uh, March 20 is, I think, uh, uh, a day that kind of uh, commemorates the mental health and there has been a couple of reports uh, released 
already by the WHO about the, you know, focusing on the progress that we made in the last 20 years over uh, mental health. And a few things that they highlight is that, yes, uh, we need to deepen our commitment to, uh, you know, strengths and care and to transform uh, mental health in many countries. And the things it, they recommend is that we need to uh, uh, make access uh, available. We need to uh, increase our investment into mental health uh, as well, because uh, talking from a purely economics point of view, it's uh, the cost-benefit analysis is very uh, clear. Uh, investing in uh, mental health uh, will pay off uh, uh, very well. And so we need to strengthen the uh, mental health care and countries need to start investing and uh, increasing their uh, uh, supply of uh, mental health services. So this uh, this is made uh, very clear. And I think many countries are now realizing that. And uh, if you notice uh, the reimbursement strategies of some of the countries, they are now uh, making sure that you know mental health uh, treatments are reimbursed and uh, etc. So this this is a positive trend, but the need uh, the need is huge, and uh, commitment and investment has to be uh, equally big in the coming uh, days and years. Mm-hmm. And this can be further supported by. Uh, research by economists who will show that this is important and necessary, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, already uh, there is a like uh, a huge body of literature showing definitively uh, with, you know, uh, causal uh, analysis that uh, mental health, uh, subjective well-being, uh, you know, life satisfaction, etc. are uh, definitely correlated with uh, all sorts of uh, economic uh, factors, being it productivity, be it, uh, uh, you know, overall burden of mental uh, health costs on the economy, etc. So it's uh, definitely, uh, definitely a growing literature and uh, the evidence is already there. So I don't think, uh, we're at a stage that uh, we want to see, okay, but there is no evidence, etc. No, the, the evidence is out there and uh, now it's time for action. I think. Thank you, Lou. It was very informative. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.